Our second reading this morning is John 21 and verses 24 to 25. So the very last two verses of the Gospel of John, chapter 21, 24 and 25. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that were written. Thank you, Cameron. Well, the title I've given the sermon today is uh, we're talking about the richness of the life of Christ. Jesus Christ is our God. Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. And Jesus Christ is our salvation. I thought I'd just put that out there to start with. We have studied the spiritual gospel of John now since early 2019. And it is indeed our hope and our prayers that we have all in some way strengthened our belief and our faith in the Lord Jesus, arrived at a sure knowledge and belief in our hearts and our minds that Jesus Christ is just what John has been writing about, who he is. Or as Thomas so wonderfully expressed that, my Lord and my God. Let us pray for true understanding of the fullness of Jesus Christ. Our gracious Lord, may you by your Holy Spirit open our hearts wide, our minds, that we may truly ponder our lives as we stand before you and your Son, that it will be meaningful, that it will be life-changing. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we often, sadly, we read about people that write that the four Gospels and others contradicts each other in some areas and that there really are just some writings and musings of a human being and some opinions that they put down. But as Christians, we also know that such absolutely and utterly uninformed writings can only come out of the minds of a person that do not have the guidance of the Holy Spirit and have no understanding. In other words, they're not privy to the truth that is revealed in the Bible. They're not saved, and they're not disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't belong. When we read verses such as verse 24, this is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. See, this wonderful account, this gospel of John about the life of Jesus was written sometime between the year 50 and 65, give or take. So it was written at a time when people were still alive that had also witnessed the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They had witnessed the miracles that he performed, 
and could well have disputed all of these things, all of the gospel, including John's, but none had. No one came forward to dispute the fact. So when John writes this last sentence, we know that this testimony is true. Well, then you and I also, by the revelation of the Holy Spirit that God has placed in our heart, we also know that this testimony is in fact true. John stresses that his testimony is based on observations, experience, and written notes by him, ensuring that he would not be making things up as he went about, but all recall all the things that he wrote down. All these things should serve as a comfort to you and I. And know the Gospels, they do not contradict each other, just as no other passage anywhere in the Bible does not contradict any other passage anywhere else in the Bible. They all agree. So when the apostles write their Gospels, they wrote it just the way they saw it. Just as we these days, we could even take things like uh, witness statements from a number of witnesses that have watched and seen a car accident on a street corner. And when you then start looking at their statements of what they saw, you'd think they're describing a totally different event from each other, even down to the color of the cars. In fact, the truth is, if all statements given were identical, you will be certain that they are false. They're cooked up because none of us see the same things at the same time. One certain way to confirm the truth, however, for you and I, is simply just go and read the Bible and to read both New and the Old Testament, showing that whatever is in the Old will speak about what is happening in the New Testament. And they all agree. Having said that, however, when one studies any part of Scripture, the more one seeks to understand and expound the text, the more its truly inexhaustible nature is revealed to us. It's just beyond us sometimes. I looked back over the years and found that I had prepared just short of 90 sermons on this great gospel. However, that just fades in significance compared to a guy like John Boyce that preached 248 sermons on this gospel. And I'm sure if I also started out again next year with the gospel of John, I would write another 90 or more sermons different to the ones we've had over the last three years. That's how rich this gospel is in terms of writing about the Lord Jesus Christ. And speaking of rich, we are today speaking of the richness, of course, of Jesus Christ. And I think the statement made at the conclusion of this gospel says it all. In verse 25, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that not even the whole world would have room for the books that would be written. Such words give you and I a true sense of the awe that John holds for the Savior, Jesus Christ. John's comprehension and the awesomeness of the Lord Jesus Christ is so great 
that he just could not see how anyone could ever capture the essence of Jesus in a number of books that would fit into a library the size of the world. Blows your mind, doesn't it? I mean, he really, really understood who Jesus was. Question for you and I, of course, is just very simple, isn't it? Is that how you comprehend Jesus today? Do you actually understand the greatness of your Lord? So let's then look at the perfection of this gospel and see the incredible richness of the life of Jesus, not just, not just as he walked with us here on earth. See, in John 1.1, 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then we go on to 1.15.16, but John the Baptist's testimony, he says, John testifies concerning Jesus. He cries out, saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have received one blessing after another. And of course, we're ending here with John's own testimony in 24, that this is a disciple who testifies to these things. We wrote them down and we know that it's true. So then we could ask, why is John writing, we know that this testimony is true? We, why we? Well, the general understanding is John feels as he writes this, he writes on behalf of the other apostles, disciples, as well as all those other witnesses that are still living at the time he's writing it. We're writing about all the things that they all saw together. And when we speak of Jesus and we speak of his life and his works, we too speak as witnesses to the truth today. We see all the things through the eyes of the Holy Spirit and we recognize it as the indisputable truth that we've been given. We may not see the actual events live, but we certainly observe the truth as it is written. That's part of what John the Baptist said. We have all received one blessing after another. Each time we pick up the Bible, we read the word of God, and we get to an understanding of what that means. It's another blessing that you have just received. We need to remember this when someone disputes what we tell them about Jesus. We go out into the street. We tell them about Jesus, and they dispute what we're telling them. People like that are not stupid, not necessarily stupid. They just haven't been the recipients of the Holy Spirit and one blessing after another, and they totally and utterly lack the ability to understand. And on that note, of course, it's also worthwhile remembering how we should act in that situation. It's worth remembering that when Thomas expressed his doubt about all of this, Jesus did not ridicule him, but he did whatever was required to help him understand that he was, in fact, Jesus Christ. The entire Gospel of John, and in fact, all of the Gospels, and the entire Bible has been given to us to help us form a full understanding 
of the Lord Jesus Christ and our need for him to save us. We need to understand without him, we are lost. Just think of the events in the gospel. Jesus healing the sick. He's giving life to the dead. He's feeding the masses. He's walking on the water, and it goes on and on. It's promises that are made by Jesus that we have today that have come true, and even some that are still to come true. But we know they will, especially the promise of his return. That's the big one for you and I. Testimonies of God the Father about the Son the accuracy of what is happening here, the baptism of, uh, of Jesus in John 1.32 or in Mark 1.11, when God tells the world, this is my son whom I love. This is God testifying to who Jesus is. And, of course, we have the transfiguration in Mark 9.7, where God also says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. The Bible is full of these treasure troves of prophecies about Jesus, events in his life and the miracles performed by him and the compassion Jesus has for his people. But think about this. This is a compassion for the people that are basically against him, that are mistreating him. He has compassion for them all made available to us. So the question is simply this. Can you and will you be a witness to Christ? Can you even give your testimony that shows the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ by the life you lead? We, after all, live now. It's 2,000 years after he walked among us. We can't truly say that we have seen with our own eyes, but we have all these witnesses that have written things down about his life, having sealed their testimonies with their own blood. They died for that truth. And the question, of course, we can ask is, would really anyone give up their life for something they knew to be totally false and a lie? Of course not. If there were ever men of integrity, it was these men that lived then and wrote this. Even if a series of events in history has been ruthlessly verified, these are the events that has been more than any other. This then changes the question a little. We add a question to the whole thing. This is sometimes not about the truth of the actual events. It is the truth about Jesus. This is also about you and I. Question is, do you believe the Bible? Have you got such a high view of the scriptures that you believe it to be the truth, undisputable? And if you recall what John wrote in 2031, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We have to be arriving at a time in our lives where we truly believe. And before we close this wonderful, wonderful gospel, 
There are some things in the words we should pay attention to. Every word that's given to us has meaning. John writes that Jesus did many things, all of which now is kind of past history because he did them. It's almost as if some people would have you believe to interpret this to mean that the life of Christ is over. And nothing could be farther from the truth. On the contrary, the whole chapter is meant to show the living Christ in fellowship with his people, you and I, within the ongoing life of his church, this church. Due to his union with believers, as you spoke of John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. There's a sense, of course, in which Jesus' life and work have not ended, but rather continue in the church as he accomplishes his will through you and I. You could argue that John wrote Jesus did, in other words, in past tense, but then interestingly enough, uh, if we turn the page in the Bible, we arrive at Acts 1.1.2, where Luke then also writes, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all the things Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So he had begun and then passed that on to the apostles, which then passed it on to you. In light of the connectivity that we have with all the biblical writings, I'm sure you will agree with me that in one sense, the life of Jesus, important and unique as it was, was only the beginning as it lives on in the life, the deed, the words, and the teaching of his redeemed communities here on earth. And you and I are members of such a community. If you have believed on Christ as your Savior, you are indeed that community. You're an integral part of his church if you're born again. And as such, are you then continuing Christ's work? Is his life being lived in you? It's a serious question. Need to be pondered. There's nothing more to be written about the life of Christ. The apostles and others have written all that God required of them, and there will be no new revelations to be had. There is nothing more to be read, to be learnt, to be taught than what we already have in the Bible. And we all have a need to serve him faithfully, and his works are to continue in us, through us, by him, until his return. We just need to fully grasp the fact that we've been given this incredible privilege, but also duty to be a channel for his teaching. And if you have any doubt of what this means, try reading Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Now, we will be talking about that passage next week. Jesus said in John 14, 12 also, I'll tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will be doing even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. He ascended to be with the Father in heaven, 
and allowing him to send his Holy Spirit in to live in us and guide us. Jesus begins that saying with the same words always when he does a serious teaching. He says, verily, verily, or he says, amen and amen, all meaning, of course, truly, truly. Alerting the reader to understand that what comes next is of great, great importance. Read it, ponder it. As Jesus often uses this in the lead into his teaching as disciples, he tells them, now you really need to listen. See, you and I also use a term like amen, but we use our amen at the end of the teaching or a prayer as a way of acknowledging our agreement to the truth of the teaching and the content of the prayer. Verse 24 is almost just that. And amen to all that was written about the life and works of Jesus Christ. For John, writing all these things down, that amen would have meant, all these things are true and I stake my life on them. Each one of those apostles staked their life. In fact, they all got killed for it, except John. He died of old age. Would you or can you? Stake your life on the truth of Jesus Christ that you read in the Bible. Is that something we're willing? Of course, we won't know that answer until we are in that situation. But may God grant us the strength that it will be so, that we will never reject and deny the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And to him be glory. Let us pray. Our loving Father, we do come to you to thank you for this wonderful gospel, for the work of John, for his uh, wonderful way of spiritually writing down all the things that he experienced and saw, for giving us a true understanding of who your son is what he had to endure for us, for the wonderful plan of salvation that you set in place that is revealed in this gospel. Lord, by your spirit, change us, strengthen us, give us a new resolve to live a life that Jesus' life will live in us and through us that we too will be his witness, testify to his love, mercy for all of us. We pray this in his holy name. Amen.